this is going to sound, you know, the, the furniture industry is, is, is kind of behind the times, in my opinion. And, and so what I'm about to tell you is going to sound like um, I, we should have done it five years ago. The Bridge is a podcast for all businesses where the consumer purchase takes place at a physical location, but those same consumers are shopping and narrowing their choices down online. That jump from online to in-store is where most businesses struggle. Each episode, we will focus on real strategies and examples from industry experts on how to dominate this complex and competitive environment by sharing the latest trends in technology and process. This is Andy Medley, uh, host of The Bridge, uh, a podcast focused on businesses that have brick-and-mortar locations but are engaging their consumers online um, and dealing with that difficult chasm that takes place between those two uh, physical and digital environments. Today we've got Joey Gunn, Vice President of Night Furniture and Mattress. Uh, this guy is a fourth generation um, from the family business, basically spent the first uh, 16 to 18 years of his life saying he was never going to work um, in the family business. Uh, we now know who, how that turned out. Uh, Night Furniture is um, a pretty big deal in the furniture business. Tons of awards uh, and a lot of recognition for not only how they do business with their, with their people, um, but also how progressive they are and the strategies they have. Um, so Fabian and I are very excited to have Joey. How's it going, Joey? It's pretty good, man. I made the joke in the beginning that you spent the first uh, good portion of your life fighting against the family business, um, but then it got into your blood. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the history of you kind of where you started to the point of now what you do in, in, at night? Sure, yeah. Um, the I started... Um, uh, well, my first job there was uh, we were running a hot dog sale, and I handed handed out free hot dogs. But um, were, the, were you good at that? <laughs> I, I don't think I was. The the, the um, I don't. They kept me around. They put me in the warehouse after that. But <laughs> don't talk to customers. Get in the back. No, yeah, more, no more hot dogs. Exactly. Um, and and so th- that transitioned into a warehouse job and then delivery. And and I worked uh, warehouse and delivery summers and Christmases. Um, until about my second year of college, and then um, I stayed around and, and did, um, you know, uh, like summer classes and, and things like that that got in the way. But uh, once I graduated, uh, I came back and um, started in 2007 and uh, in a front office role and transitioned that to credit manager, transitioned that to um, uh our second store's uh, store manager, so our Gainesville store manager, and then um, I left that store to actually um, open an Ashley Furniture Home store. So I opened our our competition, but I, I did it with our money. Um, our, our idea was to compete with ourselves, and Ashley was coming to our market anyway. And so um, we we had that store, and then uh, two years after that, I, I came back to the mothership and um, assumed buying roles and and um, advertising, which is what my degree was in. And, and then um, somewhere along the line, uh, they gave me the title of vice president, and, and that kind of just piled on everything else. So basically, soup to nuts, you've seen everything inside of the store. Yeah, yeah. Um, which part do you like the most? <laughs> <laughs> Which part do you not like the most? Oh gosh, um, you know those summer times in the warehouse were brutal. I mean, we're in Texas, so 
um, I really have a lot of respect for what our guys go through because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I can remember um, uh, coming home drenched in sweat, you know, Texas warehouse. I mean, it's everything you can imagine, um, loading and unloading trucks. It was um, so while I appreciate and love the people that do that job now, I'm I also look back on that time in my life and, and uh you know that was that was really really challenging um as far as the best part of that store uh we have we have a a secret room upstairs that's um uh we call it the war room and and it's where um we have a lot of the the upper management um getting together but you you would never you would never know that room exists. So one, I like that it's like hidden away, and the, the layperson just wouldn't walk in our store and find it. And then second, the the idea the idea generation that happens um, in that room, uh, you know, that, in that room we feel the um, the freedom to get upset with each other, to disagree with each other, to agree with each other, to build our ideas, and and all those things that you wouldn't necessarily do in just like an open public setting and and so um we get brutal with each other in there but it's for the better of night furniture and and so um that's probably my favorite part of the place um so so we 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 talked to you earlier for the innovator series and you mentioned that when you decided to work for the family business you you got a call that that you were needed um so i want to ask you in, in 2007 when you were getting ready to take on that role did you see an area where, where you thought that you were going to go in and, and make an impact, right? Like h- having kind of fought the fact that you maybe weren't going to be doing that, did you have a vision in mind of like, these are the things that I think I can, I can help impact? I wasn't really sure why. Okay, so the, the place that the store needed me was, was actually, you know, in the front office and in credit. And um, I didn't understand at the time... Well, my degree is in advertising and communication. That doesn't seem, I mean, that's not, that doesn't have a whole lot to do with credit and numbers. And, and um, what I learned when I got to the store is, is actually the, the numbers and the calculations and all that stuff, there were tools to help guide me through that. The most important part of that was the communication with the customer. And so it was a communications job because it was it was about taking that customer that came in and had this need for either a payment or for you know to increase their lifestyle, but this was their budget or whatever, and communicate some some hard things sometimes because not everybody's credit's good and and um, be able to to take that negative and still give them the confidence to proceed with the transaction where maybe they weren't approved for the thing that, that got them in the door, you know, the, the zero interest or, or something like that. And so, um, uh, I realized that the, the stuff that I was concerned, I didn't know, like the, the money and numbers. And I mean, I'm not a number, I mean, I'm a numbers guy, but that's not what I was trained in. Um, that all of that was really secondary and it was way more important to, to help close those customers and, and put those sales on the books and, and give those customers the confidence that they were doing the right thing and, and um, help with that. And so um, that was the immediate impact that I was, that I had. And, and then, um, you know, obviously later on was, was actually able to get my hands in our advertising, which had a more direct, you know, in line 
uh, what I was educated in. So, yeah, and I think that you know we we mentioned a little bit about the awards and 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 you guys have have obviously stood out and and you were talking a little bit earlier about that, but you know that that does come with some with some cachet and it does mean that you are doing something that is different um, that's causing you to get those awards. You know, you guys have been an early adopter in a lot of things, and and so um, in terms of uh, adjusting your marketing approach and understanding that engaging consumers is changing, um, when you came on and you started to go through the evolution of the different roles, and you got your hands on the advertising and started to see some of the customers coming in, wh- what were what were the light bulbs that were going off in your head that you were looking at the at the at the world outside, seeing it was changing, and and then seeing how that was kind of impacting the store. Like how did that start? How did that strategy for you start to uh, start to come into play as you started to look at some of the pains you guys were having? One of the pains that we were having, and honestly, it's a pain that we're probably uh, still having, is is you know we're a hundred and seven year old store, and so um, used to one, I'm, I'm potentially branded as your parents' furniture store, not your furniture store, and so there's that brand to overcome. Um, but uh, mm. when there's also a, the vehicle in which to get the message out. And um, back 20, 30 years ago, because I got to watch the second generation run this, the second and third generation run the store, um, back 20, 30 years ago, they would um, run an ad on TV, run an ad on radio, run an ad in the newspaper, and 85% of the Sherman, Texas market saw the ad and knew that there was something going on. Now... Um, if I use those three mediums, I'm lucky if 30% of the market has seen them, and those mediums haven't gotten cheaper. And so there's this for we're not even to the what's your message part yet. We're to the how <laughs> you know how do we even get whatever the message is out? Yeah. And we were currently you know struggling with you know how how do we how do we figure out that mix? Um, and I would say that now today we're, we're still struggling with a version of that because, um, it's, there's new advertising products being introduced every year, but, you know, between, you know, retargeting and, and digital and, and the internet. I mean, it seems like everybody has come up with a, with a new digital something every week. And, and what are the ones that, and they're, you know, you can't afford them all. And, and, and by the way, I still have to be, at least we're making the decision right now. I still have to be on TV. I still have to be on radio. Um, uh, still have to be in the newspaper when that's relevant. And so, um, it's, it's complex. Yeah, it's real complex. But you, but you had to have started with some foundational ideas, right? So you, you started to say, Hey, at least let's, let's get this right. So once you started to go there, um, how did your mind start to change a little bit differently once you uh, you took the big leap of actually getting a website and then and then utilizing it? So um, I think you know for you get a website and, and it was it was kind of a the rest of the world's doing it, and so we need to stay relevant. And so that was really the first reason, which um, is a good reason, but it doesn't really help you with your purpose or anything like that. It's just, a, you know, kind of me too. Um, and so what I was surprised about was we we got that to use it as a tool for in-store sales, not necessarily for online sales. So there was like this notion of... 
um, okay, Knight Furniture is getting a website because they want to dominate the internet and they want to dominate online sales. Well, no, actually, I wanted to dominate brick and mortar sales and I wanted to use the website as a tool to help make um, the customer's experience better, right? I wanted um, that after you, you spoke with one of my product specialists and they spit out their, their very best closing line and, and the customer is just not ready um, and they say they have to go home and measure, they have to go home and talk to their husband, whatever the case it is, um, that they get home and and their email is is sitting, okay, here's the list of the things that um, that you were interested in and maybe this will help with the conversation with your husband or this maybe the dimensions are here, this will help you while you're measuring. or You know, it was a tool to help give the customer the confidence um, to continue on with the purchase. It was not necessarily a tool so that someone could blindly go on my website, put a sofa in a cart and click, you know, PayPal and pay us. And, and yeah. the, you know, does that happen occasionally, but realistically the real benefit to, um, our store on the website is the, the support it gives the brick and mortar. Yeah. And, and so, how has that evolved for you from the from the onset of starting to have a presence online to where you are today? Um, how has that evolution taken place? So the I, I feel like the communi- the the customer is coming in more educated. Um, whether you know we're all doing it, um, they're getting more information than than ever before, and so I think the place that was really. Um, stood out to me that we needed to get better was our communication with that customer that was becoming more educated. Um, you know, no, no longer could we not be on our game and, and not be educated ourselves, number one. Um, but two, we had then also had to identify how that customer wanted to be communicated with. Right. Um, and every, and everybody's different. And so that's the challenge. Um, and so being able to keep, the, the information that the customer would give us online and somehow translate in that into a friendship or a relationship um, just based on those little metrics that they gave us to then um, get them in a place where they're confident enough to to move forward with the purchase or, um, you know, kind of be, become a part of the family and, and, and really become loyal to night furniture and, and, and those type things. And so really... Um, it was communicating with a more educated customer and, 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 and really fine-tuning the ways to, you know, that they wanted to be communicated with, I think, is where we had to, to change. Yeah, and I think that, so that's one, that's one question I have for you is that, you know, based on that, uh, how do you see the role of the salesperson having changed over, call it, the last five or ten years? What's different? Yeah. You're talking about the education, but particularly relative to the, um, the sales process, um, Am I am I still a salesperson? Actually, in my store, you're not. Um, we, uh, I was listening to um, some of our phone calls a few years ago, and um, a, a customer had been on our website, and they they called in, and um, she said, um, "Man, I I really found this recliner that I'm really interested in. I, I'd like to know more about it." And um, it was my front office that picked up the phone call. And the front office said, okay, great, I'll get you to a salesperson. Um, the call goes on hold, and I'm listening to a recording of the phone call, and so I can hear what the customer says while she's on hold. And I heard her audibly say, well, I didn't want to be sold. And it was when I, I took that recording in to my dad's office, and I said, there's a, there's a problem here, there's a disconnect. 
Um, and he, when he heard that recording, he wrote down the words product specialist. He said what they wanted was a product specialist. They wanted somebody to help them with the product. They didn't want somebody to, um, to sell them on anything. And I think what was exciting about that moment and, and, and also humbling about that moment is our front office person had done exactly what we had trained them to do. You know, they didn't do anything wrong. They had done exactly what we had told them to do. Yeah. And it's not what the, what the customer wanted to hear. And so um, we, we changed the name of, um, of all our salespeople to product specialists. And so we don't have salespeople. We have product specialists. I think that's a really, really big transition because it, it more represents what, what the customer is looking for in that moment. It also assumes that... Um, a big piece of a salesperson, and sometimes that can be a dirty word, uh, but a good salesperson is a facilitator of knowledge, is a person that um, helps a, a consumer make good choices, shares with them the different options that are available, and drives them down to the point of a decision with that consumer feeling comfortable that they have enough education and information to be able to make a good decision. Right. Right. And and what you're what you're articulating, and I think what we all know is that that's being replaced by whatever information is available online. Right. And so a good website is really a great salesperson. Can you talk a little bit about how, because if you're telling your salespeople that they're product specialists, that means, listen, um, you're also giving a lot of credit to the consumer who has already made X amount of informational uh, research to the point where they know what they want to do. Right. So that also then says to you, well, now I need to know that my responsibility is to make sure that my digital landscape adjusts right for the consumer's expectation online because they ain't going to they're not even going to give the opportunity for my salespeople or product specialists now to be able to do it. So in your mind, how did that start to adjust your strategy and what how do you think about the uh, the experience the website's providing? Well, you know, I. I feel like, first of all, I feel like without, with the absence of everything that you just said, I'm not getting that customer in my door, right? Now, I think we have to take for granted that these are expected things that the customer is expecting. And so, um, so now just having them doesn't put you ahead in the game. It just puts you in the game, right? And so then, um, the, the proper amount of time needs to be spent on the website, making sure that um, that the information is there, not just for your customer, but <laughs> if the customer is going to be more educated, my salespeople have to be too. And so um, I have to make sure that the the information that we're loading our salespeople with is also online, so they can they can help the customer identify it and, and yeah. see it. Because some sometimes hearing it from your product specialist I guess I should use that one I see I'm falling into the trap hearing it from our from our product specialist and then hearing it and reading it gives them more confidence than just me taking your word for so it so consistency right and and so making the messages that you have online whether it's your branding message whether it's your your sales message whether you know whatever it is be consistent with the experiences in the store um, because for instance if they come in and the imagery on the website's one thing, and then they come in and there's a total different color palette. There's a disconnect already, you know. And so, the the little things kind of become the big things there, um, where the even just the the imagery from the sale or, or the branding messages that you know that all of those are really really consistent. 
No, that, that makes perfect sense. But you're also expecting that um, you're providing tools to the consumer that are, are uh, allowing them to have control of that process. And, and for lack of a better way of saying it, your website is actually speaking to that person. And that, that's a, that's a, that, that, then all of a sudden you have technology that's similar to what your, your competitors on the digital landscape like the Amazons and the Wayfarers right. are providing, which is not an easy environment to be in. It's not, but you know some of some of what you're describing there is is that you're you're the customer is desiring a conversation. They're desiring a relationship, really. Um, and so, you know, the challenge was always that I felt like if I got you in my door, that there were, I could establish a really good relationship. But if I got you on my website, how do I establish that same relationship? How do I communicate? Because I, I think we're we're pretty good in store, but the communication lines are different online. And so, um, you know, of you know, there's products like live chat and and, and um, even the the quizzes and things like that that help narrow down um, that we have on there. Um, but the other challenge with introducing those products, and especially live chat, um, is that now you've got to go manage it, and you've got to go manage it pretty damn good right because there's nothing more annoying than than introducing something like live chat or or the communication quizzes or something like that and then um you've failed at communicating with the customer you either said something in a way they didn't want to hear it or you didn't give them the right information or you didn't give them any information at all and so it's not just a box that you super scary yeah yeah you don't just like turn on live chat and say okay we're doing this now we're ahead of the game Turning it on doesn't make you ahead of the game. Turning it on and being good at it makes you ahead of the game, you know. And so uh, I think that that's, you know, being prepared to be able to utilize the tools um, in the way that the customer wants them to be utilized has been um, an ongoing challenge, and it changes year to year. And let's kind of dive into that a little bit here, just in terms of the the blind spots that were presented as a result of having this uh, tremendous amount of data on that that customer, right? Like, what are some of the things that you think are important on a metrics level that that you're kind of watching on a daily basis uh, that help enable you to to make better marketing decisions? Well, um, obviously, the the metric that we'd all like to see better is close ratio, right? We'd we'd love to to close 100% of the people that we talk to. And so, um, you know, that's one that that really is important to my dad, you know, how much much of that money is actually hitting the (laughs) counter. Um, Because going back into his office saying, I just had this really great conversation with Mrs. Jones online, um, you know, his next question is going to be, well, what did she buy? You know, and if it's just that you just made a friend, making a friend is good, but um, ultimately... It doesn't um, pay the bills. No, it doesn't pay the bills. Now, hopefully, um, Mrs. Jones would come back and, and buy because um, the relationship was good, but you understand the point. And so um, I think the ultimate metric that matters is is what hits the front counter. Um, the the things that we do work on as as a as a company and that we're um, that we're watching is how many of those conversations um actually you know end up um getting those people in store um you know and then once they're in store how does that go um a, a good closing ratio regardless of if they were ever online or whatever a good closing ratio um for one of my salespeople is 30 percent 
well, that means that there's 70% of, of people that are walking back out that door. And um, if the really, really good stores, the really, really good salespeople will work on that 70% and get them back in the door somehow. And the way that they earn the right to do that is establishing the relationship. And that relationship probably started online, the way the customer is shopping now. And so, um, you know, the those those emails back to the customer are, are super important. Those phone calls to the customer are super important. Um, the all of that we're not in a environment right now where we can take that data and be lazy with it because the customer will punish you for that. They the the, the marketplace will not shop with you um, if you are not providing. Um, relevant relationships to them because they they're not going to feel any loyalty to you and they're going to go away. Have you so have you seen over call it the last 10 years close ratios increase? Yes. Okay. And the and traffic traffic's down, close ratios high. Yep. And and that goes back to the customer being more educated and and, and they're visiting less stores. The statistics are I, I think it was 1.2 furniture. I've, I've heard it between 1.2 stores and 1.6 stores. Basically, what that means is um, they've done their research. They've picked out the one or two places they're going to go, and the minute they walk into that furniture store or store in general, they're they're years to lose. Right? They're years yeah, to blow it for sure. Because either they're that one or they're that point six, and someone else has already blown it. Either way, they're in front of you, and it's it and it's your time to mm-hmm. shine. How has that changed some of the marketing data that you guys look at? Like, um, so for example, um, you know, if you have ten thousand website visitors, you're looking at the percent of leads that you're converting from an unknown person to a known person, which is the same as them walking into the door. Right. If you think about it that way, so what kind of metrics are you guys looking at right now um, before they even get to the store? Well, um, you, you of course, you know, you monitor your traffic. Um, that that's huge. Um, and you, there, there's another element we haven't talked about here yet, and it's that um, I've, I've probably done some online advertising that might have helped drive them to the store, right? And so, yeah, oh, definitely, uh, you know. And, and so, which of those messages is working? Um, w- you know, what? Because cause not all ads are created equal, and, and so um, are they? Like, for instance, I'll give you a really, really basic one. Um, one one time we put out two ads. Um, one was more of a cash offer. One was more of a finance offer. And um, we we noticed that more people were responding to the to the credit offer at that time. And it and so it actually molded the rest of our message, um, responding to okay. The, the, right now, for some reason, um, at this very moment, the cash offer doesn't seem to be as sexy. And so um, we're going to mold the rest of our advertising. So it actually ended up affecting over the air. It actually yeah. ended up affecting, you know, the, the rest of the event, um, based on what we were able to see the customers responding to. And I think the same thing happens, um, when you get to the website level and you can take that same data and it, you can use it to help, um, pick up the right merchandise for people to, because you can see the most visited, pieces of of merchandise on your site right well i have way more merchandise on my site than i have in my store i have unlimited floor space online and so you would look and and 
if there's a lot of visits on some product that we don't carry on the floor, that's our customers voting that we want you to carry this. We want you to carry these looks. We want you to carry this product. And so it, it actually ends up, you know, this, this, the website ends up affecting what's happening in real life and the yeah. decisions that we're making to be relevant to that customer because um, we're getting to see, you know, okay, we don't have a lot of this look on our, on our floor and we're getting a lot of traffic on the site there. And so, you know, I think that some of those it goes metrics, back to that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seeing where the customer is spending the time on the site so that, and sometimes you find out that they're not and your message is, is bad. And so, you know, that's, a, that's a metric to follow too, not just where you're succeeding, but for sure, you know, yeah. You know, we were talking and I know that, that, that you had a big emphasis on increasing the amount of leads. Um, so putting tools on place that are engaging the consumers, but also learning more about them. And because you have more leads, that allows you to start to do some attribution. And, and attribution not only to which channels are performing well, but, but, but also like how much revenue is being started from my website. You know, right. don't get lost in the, you know, we don't need to get lost in the first or last touch or any of that baloney right now. It's more along the lines of saying like, um, of the people that come to my website, how many buy? Right. Um, is, that, is that something you look at? We, n- not as as religiously as I would like to tell you, it is something that's important to us. Um, the One of the things that gets in the way of, of reviewing some of those metrics that we should look at like that is, I mean, just the store itself, you know? And so um, we're, that's why we, we rely on, on our teams and our partners to sometimes spoon feed me some of that data. And, and I say, okay, this met, that is a metric that I point out that's important to me. Um, but my ability to personally babysit it sometimes, um, you know, I babysit it as often as I can. Yeah. For, for others in the industry um, that are listening, how big of a mistake is it to not be invested in your, your website, to not be invested in, in really taking a look at the data that can drive you to make some of those better decisions? If you don't, you're not listening. You're not listening to the customer. Um, you know, the, the, the customer is going to talk to somebody. And um, so, in my opinion, it might as well be you. And, and that, that, that website is an invitation into your store. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that your site and your experience isn't the only one that they're going to be um, experiencing. And so it's very, very important that you are, you are, that one, you have a good presence there. And two, once you have a presence, that you're giving them an experience that they're, that is at least unique and that, that stacks up against the other people. Um, because again, I said earlier, 1.2, 1. 1. 1.6, something like that of in-store visits. The on, I mean, they probably visited five or six websites to make that decision, right? And so... At least. Right. So my so I am not naive. My website is not the only site that they're visiting to help make that decision. My store might be the only store, or maybe it's not, um, but my site wasn't. And so it's got to stack up. It's And so if you're not paying attention to that, one... You're not inviting the customer into the store the way I mean. You're you're just not inviting the customer into the store, um, and then two, um, you're not listening to them because they're trying to communicate with you, and they're gonna communicate with somebody. And so, 
with that, you're putting a lot of onus on um, and accountability on that that experience, right? So how, how do you hold your uh, your technology providers accountable when you're when you're paying money to do that? How do you hold them technology accountable? Technology providers are in or or your people because I mean there's 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 two aspects of that. Oh I, yeah, for sure. Um, you know I. Yes, I, you, I've got to take my technology partners and, and hold them accountable. But I think that that is really um, you get what you inspect, not what you expect. And so you, you don't just turn it over to them and, and then vacate, right? Um, the temptation of getting a partner um, like a website provider or like a, an, a marketing agency or something like that and then turning it over to them and just blindly letting Hoping. them yeah that's that's you're not going to get the results that that you would if you were otherwise involved now i also believe that you don't hire a lawyer and then tell them how to practice law so there's a balance there <laughs> you know you, you you don't you don't hire the company and then disagree with everything that they promote um and and tell them to do it differently and so you you take what they're good at and then um you just have to be involved in, in every step of, of the process and not just take for granted that they're going to do it the way that you, um, that you, that you expect them to. So what's next? What are you guys working on? What's, uh, what's going to be different about night furniture five years from now? That's, that's a really good question. Um, we just launched a, a new website, which we're excited about. And, um, for the first time, this, this is going to sound, you know the, the furniture industry is 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 kind of behind the times, in my opinion, and and so what I'm about to tell you is going to sound like um, I, we should have done it five years ago, but for us it was just the time. But we finally have a website team. We finally have a, a, a team of people that um, that are spending the time on the site uh, that that need to um, that we need to have, and to make sure that everything's right, make sure the ad is 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 up. And I'm talking my internal people, not not our partners. Our yeah, partners yeah. were always doing it. Um, and so taking a more hands-on approach to, to, to that and then taking some of this technology and then using it to help support local and support community. Cause I, I think that, um, that's a, a way to stand out. It yeah. is a way to stand out. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Wayfairs and the Amazons and, and the way to not be afraid of, of those people cause they're going to get theirs right is is to do something different than they're doing and and one of the easiest ways to do is to be local and so how how do i make that you know my website now be that that local channel um that that helps support you know so that they want to shop on nightfurniture.com because they're supporting the the local charity also or or whatever and so i think they're just or they're just supporting a local business that supports local um, employees. That's the thing. You know, we're going to be, we're at the Chamber of Commerce meetings. We're at the Little League games. We're, you know, there's there's a lot of, of things with the community that we show up to that, that we know that some of our competitors, national competitors, mm-hmm. don't have the ability to do. Um, and so, um, you know, how do you take the technology now and and also help benefit those communities that you're that you're infiltrating that, that Amazon and Wayfair just don't have the ability to show up to. I like that. Do you have any ideas on how you're going to start to do that? No, it's a great idea. I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I surround myself with people better than I me. I said so five years, so you got some time. Yeah, you got some time. Well, hey, we've uh, we're going to wrap up here with a couple questions. Um, 
How you keep yourself educated? The the biggest thing that I do to keep myself educated is um, to show up to the the industry events, and um, we're a part of a performance group, and and rely our performance group is is a group of of nine other peers that we we lock ourselves in a hotel room um for two days um and share i have a best idea session and um and share our our raw numbers and and um those guys um you know those connections and 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 we do it not just the the three days out of the year that we meet but um throughout the year too get back and forth information exactly and so the other part of that same conversation is you don't want to be the taker, right? I don't want to show up and just take all their ideas. So I have to feel like I have to come up with some of my own. So it pushes me to be relevant to them too, you know? And, and so it, it helps our store and hopefully it helps theirs and, and they certainly help ours. It's, it's, uh, it's probably the best thing we do. I, I think that that leads perfectly into our last question here, and, and that is what, what piece of advice can you give to other people in the industry that are looking to maybe take a same approach that you're doing to, to make their store successful? You know, I, I keep saying surround yourself with people better than you, and, and that's both in your store and, and outside of your store, and, and, and you can even take it farther as to in your life and, and making sure that, um, you know, you're... you're uh, you're really doing the best thing for yourself. But um, I, I think that there has there's maybe sometimes a stigma of um, if you surround yourself with people better than you that um, there's like a power struggle there or something, and there's not, um, at least not in my, my instance. In fact, what ends up happening is, is you get a lot of people that are good at a bunch of different things, and, and um, they, they end up working together, and it works out real nicely. Um, and so I, you know, um, I expect our salespeople to close at a higher rate than I could personally. I expect the people that are managing our website to be able to create a better website than I could. I expect the people that are communicating back and forth with our customers to communicate better than, than I could. Um, and if, if there's anything short of that, I'm failing, right? Um, just like, um... I can't be in the store all the time, and um, the the customer, the challenges I want the customer to feel and to to really experience what's in my heart for their experience, and that's not going to happen um, if I'm in there doing it all the time. Um, you know, I've got to have a team full of people that that buy into that and and can can do it better than I can. Good stuff, buddy. Well, we really appreciate the time. Appreciate you having uh, joining us for the bridge. Yep. Thank you. Awesome.